and welcome to episode three of the e-commerce customer lifecycle. My name's Kier, and as always, joined uh, live from Boston uh, with Ross. Hey, Ross. Hey, Kier. How you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? Doing great. Um, so this episode, uh, we are talking uh, as, well, I shall quote you, the rather unsexy uh, topic of fulfillment, <laughs> the uh, the often overlooked part of the process. And um, just from our conversation earlier, I was, I was thinking what a, a great opportunity this is for people working in the sort of e-commerce space, maybe designers and developers who wouldn't necessarily go this far down the line, but it feels to me that it's um, a real upsell. If you can really get to the heart of the the fulfillment issue and how technology interfaces with it. It's a real opportunity to 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 work longer and and, and for more revenue with, with your clients. Is that something that you found? Yeah, I think it's one of those things where you know, although you might be producing a website, uh, you might be designing it or developing it or whatnot, you're really trying to impact your client's business. So for us, you know, we try to look at all the areas where we can we can help them uh, and create that impact. And uh, we found that. You know, processes, operations, et cetera, is one of those areas um, because it is often overlooked. And, and really, technology uh, provides so much opportunity to improve it. A lot of our customers aren't even aware of um, that we really take it on as a responsibility in, in any one of our projects. Is it something you've always done or is it something that you were maybe asked for help with and you realized that there was an opportunity there? Or, or was it just maybe something out of you know, interest that you, you thought we could really develop growth about this way? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I think it's it's probably just my nature, just individually. Um, I'm, yeah. <laughs> you know, I went to business school. I'm very process oriented. Uh, I love. I live in Excel. <laughs> you know, everyone else in my company lives in 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 either Photoshop or in the browser and code, whatever. I'm all day just cranking out spreadsheets after spreadsheet. <laughs> um, so I think that just uh, naturally is how I think about these these kind of things, and and that's just sort of extended to the kind of conversations we've had we've really had with our clients. Cool. So um, you you were mentioning us uh, in our prelim about this. Uh, we're going to take a slightly different approach uh, than we have with sort of process platforms, people, and performance. It is mm-hmm. ma- <clears throat> excuse me. Maybe uh, obviously because this is much more of a linear process. There's a start and there's an end point. And you've uh, within GrowSpark developed this kind of process flow, this sort of fulfillment mapping, as you've um, described it. And uh, I think yeah. Compared to the first two episodes, we're actually going to sort of walk through a, a sort of hypothetical situation with. Um, I'm sure you'll dream up a product that we can uh, potentially fulfill um, and talk through some of the processes. So what will be the first step when you sit down with a client and uh, start talking fulfillment? So uh, we're assuming that you've, you've signed off on the design or, or would this be something that you'd attack uh, way before that as part of the sort of scoping? Yeah, it actually is uh, something that we attack very early on. You know, we do all our projects in sort of two key phases. The first is the strategy phase and the second is the design build phase. And one of the, the big... Um, sort of areas that we explore in strategy is fulfillment, right? We we spend usually a whole, at least one or two, maybe two hour workshop with our clients walking through uh, exactly what their fulfillment process looks like now. Um, you know, so we're, we're really, really spending a lot of time thinking about it because we found that it really does impact the technology decisions, development decisions that we make, you know, which platforms do we use for shipping, which platforms do we use for, uh, you know, notifications, email, so on and so forth. So it's a really important thing to get up sort of figured out up front. Cool. So, um, what's stage one then? Well, I mean, you, you sit down with the client, you, you sort of digested what they, they normally do. Where do you take it from there? Yeah. So let's kind of run through, you know, a little, a little hypothetical. So let's say we're working with a company that sells really funky uh, hats, um, baseball caps, that kind of thing. So they come to us and the first thing that we're going to do is basically have them tell us exactly what happens the moment an order is received in their store. Uh, so let's say an order comes in through Shopify. 
um, what's the first thing that happens? Typically, there's some sort of order confirmation that's sent to the customer. Um, there's also some sort of order notification that's sent to them as a company. Like, hey, congratulations, you just got a new sale. One of the things that's really important to figure out because this imp- sort of uh, implicates the fulfillment process more than anything is how do they actually handle sending the product to the customer? Because not all businesses necessarily carry their own inventory. So you've got situations right. where they do have inventory already stored and they're shipping it themselves. You have situations where they don't have inventory. It's uh, sort of a fulfillment on demand or manufacturing on demand approach, but they do handle it in-house. You also have situations where um, they have outsourced fulfillment. So they're working with a partner that does maybe both the manufacturing and the shipping, um, or they're working with a partner where they're doing the manufacturing and they're shipping them the goods to house it, and then they're shipping it their way. So there's generally those four situations that we've kind of come up with. And depending on kind of which situation our client falls into, it's obviously going to change how the fulfillment process works. So right, yeah. let's, uh, let's, for the sake of this sort of first example, let's assume that they handle all the manufacturing and all the inventory management, all the shipping in-house. So in that situation, there's really just the customer and the actual company that we're kind of talking about. So order comes in, customer's notified that order has been placed, the company has been notified that they've received a new sale. So that's sort of step one. Now... One of the things that we'd like to track, track as we go through this fulfillment mapping exercise is what is the order status, which is really just open or fulfilled, right? Open or archived. Um, what is the payment status? So have we actually received authorization and payment up front or are we holding an authorization and don't actually accept the payment until the order is shipped? That's something that's important to track uh, in each of the steps that you lay out. And then all, obviously the fulfillment status itself. So have we sent the the, the good yet or have we not? And if there's a uh, manufacturing element to it, sometimes we like to look at what stage the product development is, um, or I guess, you know, product production is in as well. Mm. So order status, payment status, fulfillment status, or production status are sort of the th- three things, three or four things that we're looking at as we're going through each of these steps. So order comes in, we've got the order notification sent out. We know that the order status is open. We know payment status is paid because, you know, typically we like to see our clients get paid up front. Uh, and we know that the fulfillment status is not fulfilled. What's the f- next thing that's going to happen? Um, let's assume we're not worrying about any kind of custom products. We're not worrying about any um, manufacturing situations. Everything's just ready to kind of pick and pack. In that situation, the next thing that we're going to need to do is kind of go through um, the shipping pro- process. So we need to purchase shipping. Uh, we need to then print out um, the label, the shipping label. We'll then need to print out a packing slip if that's something that's included. Um, sometimes an invoice is included as part of the packing uh, packaging as well. So that sort of shipping uh, purchase step is is typically the next one. Again, assuming that we're not doing any any odd manufacturing or customization in between. We um, often find that our clients fall almost 50-50 it seems. Uh, 50-50 in the breakdown of who they're using to purchase the shipping. So half of our clients actually just do it themselves. They have an account with FedEx or USPS or whatnot. Right. Maybe they're using their um, their gateway to just handle the, the purchasing of the shipping and, and uh, shipping uh, printouts and things like that from there. Or they might purchase the shipping there, but then they're handling all the uh, packing slips through one of the Shopify apps or whatnot. The other half of our clients are actually using a sort of, I call it like a shipping management tool, right, to handle purchasing the shipping, uh, sending out the tracking codes, uh, p- printing out the slips, packing slips, etc. Something like a ship station uh, or an order cup, any one of those platforms. Um, there's a bunch of other great ones out there as well, but those ones kind of come come to mind. So 
the second step where we're basically handling all the shipping and, and packaging element to it. Then once everything's packed and, and shipping is all good, typically uh, we're sending a shipping notification to the, the customer, sort of saying, hey, your order's been shipped, it's on its way. Um, and then the last step is really them receiving it. There is obviously that sort of in-transit mode. So, you know, the order has been shipped, the customer knows it's on its way. Um, the tracking code thing is something that they uh, they have access to. We like to see our customers sending that either via the default Shopify notification or if they're using a ship station or something some other platform like that, sending it that way. Uh, and then the last step is is basically uh, order received. So when, once the order is received, um, that's when we like to see our customers typically archiving the order so that way they can take it out of their sort of general inventory. So this is a very basic process. So, you know, let's say it's this this hat company where their order comes in, you know, they're they're purchasing the shipping necessary, they're packing the hat and the, and the shipping information, sending it off with the tracking code, uh, and then archiving the order once it's done. And we're updating the order status, payment status, fulfillment status, etc. in each one of those situations. Yes, there's actually quite a lot going on there, isn't there? Much more than you'd uh, initially think just by uh, yeah. saying, oh yeah, fulfillment is very easy. I mean, I know from personal experience that fulfillment is um, is tricky. Um, do, do you do you go into much detail about um, things like shipping rates and which apps to use and that kind of stuff? It's interesting you talked about an invoice because whenever I've shipped um, physical products, I've never quite understood whether the uh, notification of uh, purchase acts as an invoice and then other people say, well, it's not a real invoice and all this kind of stuff. So it's interesting that you touched on things like packing slips and invoices. And Are there different requirements in, in different states or uh, maybe in the US compared to other countries? Yeah, I think we found um, there are there are certain instances where, you know, there are, are tax requirements and whatnot that you're going to need to sort of uh, accommodate for. Um, typically, though, we found the B2B e-commerce businesses, so people who are selling, let's say, technology to other businesses or they're selling uh, medical device or supplies, something like that, where, you know, there's a strong e-commerce element, but they're really just working with other businesses. Uh, having the invoice as part of that makes a lot of sense, right? Because businesses want to track the expenses. They want to be able to write things off. And although, you know, the email confirmation could be used as a, as an invoice reference, I think a lot of companies just like to have that security knowing they have a, a formal, you know, invoice. Um, not so much on the B2C side. Uh, we see it, you know, I think typically that the packing slip kind of works, you know, as a substitute. Um, but one, one thing that we really, uh, we really like to do in, in this sort of fulfillment mapping process is not come in with any initial judgments or recommendations. Our customer knows the requirements of their business much better than we do. They know the relationship that they have with their customers much better than we do. So really in, in the first sort of version of the fulfillment map, it's entirely what our client does currently, whether we, you know, like it or not. Um, then once we have that process really nailed down and we know exactly how they're communicating currently, then we ask, you know, questions around, okay, well, where do you see there being inefficiencies? Where is your staff spending too much time? Where, uh, do we need to spend um, you know, maybe less time manually and find a way to spend more time or at least automate with technology, that kind of thing. Um, so the, the thing that we're going to need to do in that situation is just let them walk us through, uh, the challenges at hand. So yeah, that's really interesting, Ross. So, so what are some of the, um, common areas of inefficiencies that someone like yourself could help out with, uh, someone maybe going into sort of fulfillment for the first time or, or maybe just improving their processes with technology? Yeah, that's a great question. I think 
um, you know, oftentimes a lot of the products that we're doing, people have some very archaic or proprietary e-commerce platform that they're using. And, you know, they migrate to a platform like Shopify and Shopify in and of itself, you know, without doing anything uh, really outside of the box, does a tremendous amount for helping them at least get a grasp on the status of all their orders. You would be surprised how many clients we've talked to who don't even know how many uh, open orders they necessarily have. I mean, they obviously they know, but if they have more than one uh, or two sort of um, statuses like these orders are in production or these wait orders are waiting for approval or these orders are, you know, waiting for, you know, um, additional parts or what have you. That's where you see some major breakdowns. And most of the time companies are solving them simply through, you know, having the right people in place and they're constantly in communication with their, their customers and they're double checking things, triple checking things. And that's great. So the, the job is getting done and, and orders are getting delivered, but not in the most efficient way possible. Um, so when you can at least go into a platform like Shopify and see all the orders you have and exactly which ones are open when, uh, that alone is going to be a huge efficiency for a lot of companies um, out there that are, are, are working with older platforms. The I think the area, though, that's more common is usually around that sort of shipping procurement piece. Um, people are buying the shipping manually. You know, they're not they're not sending out the order uh, tracking numbers in an efficient manner. They may, may be manually sending those. Um, they're not syncing it up and using Shopify's default kind of order notification or shipping notification capability. Um, you know, they're they're manually printing out packing slips uh, and labels. You know, they're not using some of the tools out there that make it a lot easier, um, especially the tools where you can kind of do everything in one, you know, sort of uh, one fell swoop. So ShipStation allows you to purchase the shipping and print the packing and print the invoice, print everything that you need. Um, and that's something that a lot of people kind of miss on. So, so yes, typically would, uh, would, would one person, would you advise one person in the organization to kind of keep an eye on this? Or is it typical that a lot of people will sort of dive in at different points into the admin and, and sort of... Uh, you know, once they've done their bit, they'll go in and change the status or, or how does it normally work? That's a good question. I think it, it certainly comes down to the sort of magnitude of orders that you're dealing with. Um, you know, if you're, if you're talking about, you know, a, a few dozen a day, you know, anything, anything even sub a hundred a day, one person could probably manage pretty easily, assuming that there's, there's no follow-up communication that's necessary where we've seen things get, um, really, really tricky. Uh, a couple of our customers actually offer, customizable products. So there's there's this communication element, yeah, that has to sort of take place after an order is purchased. Um, there might be some sort of proof like, hey, you know, we're, we make, you know, custom whatever sofa covers <laughs> and we, you know, take, you send us a picture of your dog or your cat and we can put it on your sofa cover. Uh, in that situation, you know, maybe there's some sort of proof on the image that the customer is sending. Maybe they forget to send an image when an order is placed and therefore you have to request the image after the fact. You know, whenever there's that kind of proof component to it, um, you know, if you're doing some sort of customized product, then uh, that's where, you know, you really want to make sure you don't overload your staff because there's this extra level of account management almost at that point. What kind of tools uh, would you advise people to use at that point? Obviously, you want to keep that communication in place. You want to have it on file. You obviously want to relate it to an order. Are there any sort of systems or tools uh that you would you would recommend in that situation i mean uh, speaking from personal experience i've used things like help scout um and i know that uh, there are certain integrations now uh, shopify being one of them where it can map sort of correspondence uh, in help scout to to orders and, and you can see customer information and that kind of stuff uh, i'm just trying to think um what are some of the ways that people can kind of 
centralize this and make sure that information isn't missed. Yeah, uh, Help Scout's a great example, uh, actually. So is Desk.com. Uh, I believe it's a Salesforce company. Yeah, but both of those have a fantastic Shopify integration. A few of our clients use uh, use those platforms. What's nice about that is you're able to kind of uh, to capture the communication that exists between your staff and, and customers in a centralized place. Therefore, anyone who has to jump in and deal with an order has this history right in front of them. Uh, and the history is tied to a customer. It's tied to an order. So there's a very kind of clear, uh, you know, sort of packaging around uh, the communication has to get done. So huge fans, uh, from our part and using a platform like that, if possible, you know, if, if really the customer only has, um, post-purchase support issues like returns and things like that, you might be able to get away with just traditional email, but any, any chance where you can use something like that to help kind of manage communications, we, we definitely encourage our clients. Yeah, no, I, I would totally agree. I think um, from from experience, Help Scout's been uh, been been a great uh, great option. Um, just a couple of things um, that I'd like to talk about in actual packaging. Do you think packaging itself is is a marketing opportunity? Do you ever do you ever talk about kind of branding in relation to packaging and uh, kind of that? Uh, there was a there was a company in the UK that you would buy um, kind of uh, I guess like sort of grown-up toys from or things like that and you'd often get like a bag of haribo in there or you know a sweet or things like that do you ever do people get carried away with things like that is that a, an opportunity to sort of reinforce your values and brand to, to customers yeah it's a great question it's actually something that we um we we talk about quite a bit with with our clients you know and it's it's not a it is a fantastic way to market the business um it's not always a, a cheap way you know, because really customized packaging can get expensive depending on kind of what you're trying to do. But for a lot of our clients, especially those that are selling a bit more of a premium product, you know, they're not in the kind of commodity space. They're not competing on price. They're really competing on brand. Uh, if that's sort of your MO, then having that brand experience extend beyond just the interaction you have with the website is key. Uh, because if you have this great experience through the site and then all of a sudden you get this, you know, flat brown paper bag package it's you know it doesn't seem to be consistent with your expectations you know you were paying this premium for a beautiful you know whatever pair of shoes or a fantastic jacket or something like that and here it comes in just some generic box uh, it doesn't make you feel as good about your you know your you know thousand dollar purchase or whatnot uh, as some really well designed um, well thought out packaging might yeah, so there's um, there's some great examples of that. I mean, Apple is obviously a key one, not necessarily it's mail order, but that kind of the whole unboxing and the smell and everything like that. But um, what about um, using brand in the email notifications? Obviously, that's an opportunity where it, you know people want to hear from you. They want to know that their you know their their order's been accepted. There's no problem mm-hmm. with the payment. Do you, do you go into detail maybe about how those notifications should look? I mean, do, do you just go with the standard text-based ones? Or is it, an, again, another opportunity to maybe reinforce the brand, maybe push some other products? Is that something you guys talk about? Yeah, um, great question. It, it definitely is. It's definitely something that we kind of tackle during the design process. We like to think of uh, emails as sort of two two different types of emails, right? There's transactional emails and then there are marketing emails so your transactional emails are things like hey you know here's order confirmation your order you know has been received or shipping notifications or anything that has to do with with simply letting the client know or letting the customer know the status of their order um, whereas the marketing you know emails are, are much more of the you know newsletter updates product updates tips tricks anything that kind of comes out of your you know mailchimp platform or whatnot so the the transactional emails we still feel need to be or should be as branded as the uh, marketing emails not necessarily um you know as conversion focused not necessarily 
uh, as visual, you know, you really want to make sure the customer knows who this is, email is coming from, what the purpose of the email is, right? Why they're reading it and just give them the security that, Hey, we're on top of our stuff. Um, so we've definitely found that, uh, both transactional and marketing emails should, you know, receive some, some level of love, some brand love. Um, transactional emails, however, are, should be a little bit more to the point. Right. Yeah. So do you, do you tend just to just keep those very simple, maybe just to add in a logo and, and, and just go with the basics, the sort of out the box transactional stuff or any hints or tips there? Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, the, the default ones from Shopify, you know, are great. They have all the information you typically need. We'd like sprucing them up a little bit, you know, uh, with, with some HTML. Um, I think part of it too comes down to, uh, you know, really how, how much email marketing you're planning on doing anyway. So if you already have a big email marketing strategy, then, you know, take, take whatever you already have in place and kind of pull that out and just put that into the transactional side, you know, from a design yeah. perspective, uh, that kind of Absolutely. makes it a little easier. So, um, I guess the final piece of the puzzle is once, uh, you know, there'll, there'll be an off chance maybe that, uh, someone might want to return something or there'll be a problem. Um, so kind of all your transactional stuff's gone out, your, your notifications, you've archived the order. Um, you mentioned at the beginning that or at least in the show notes, returns is a, is a big thing. You know, things do break, things do want to come back. How how does that influence the process? How do you use technology in, uh, to sort of to help with that? Or is there any sort of gotchas or processes that you would recommend? Not yeah, gotchas a, that you'd recommend, I should say, but any, <laughs> any gotchas that we should be aware of and processes that you should recommend? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think, um, uh, you know, in handling, in handling returns, there's there's the technical question of okay well how do we make sure we're returning or managing the returns properly and our you know inventory is getting reconciled properly and, you know our finances are getting reconciled properly everything in Shopify uh, is kind of lining up um, the way it should be so we're not getting sort of error reporting the one one app that we are big fans of uh, is Bold Apps which builds a suite of fantastic tools has a, an app called Returns Manager that is pretty helpful um, for managing this kind of stuff. Shopify uh, in and of itself can process refunds and, and things like that. So there are ways to kind of just handle some of the returns uh, sort of manually if you didn't, didn't need a more robust platform to do so. You know, I think um, just having a very clear returns policy is important. Making sure that policy is communicated to customers is really important. You know, we're, we're, we're of the believer that customer service and the brand experience is what you're selling first. So if you're not handling that experience well, um, you know, if you're not uh, respecting the inquiries of, of customers, if you're not processing them timely, if you're not getting into the, the nuts and bolts of, of cases and such, um, you know, you're probably going to uh, not win over a customer for life. <laughs> we have had clients uh, share experiences where a customer returned a product, but they did such a good job handling, you know, the case that the customer came back later on. So I think there's there's a big piece uh, that has to be focused on the relationship. Um, but from a tech point, you know, using Returns Manager as a plugin uh, or excuse me, an app. Uh, you know, or using a support ticketing tool to ch- handle some of that is, is really helpful. I think in our next podcast too, we'll talk a, a little bit more around the, what we like to call the, the post-purchase relationship or post-purchase experience. Yeah. Um, so we can definitely chat on some of that stuff then too. So I guess to round it off really, you've talked about the, the, the sort of mapping exercise. Um, how long would this sort of, uh, process take when you, you sit, sit down with the client? Yeah, I would say it, it probably takes, let's say, 30 to 60 minutes to really map out their process uh, efficiently. We, you know, we really like to start just doing out in a whiteboard, um, you know, making it as visual as possible. We usually find that transposing that over to an Excel 
uh, document, uh, at least my personal preference, or, or, or a Visio or a flowchart or anything <laughs> like that. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, just transposing to something digital so that way you can kind of riff on a little bit more, refine it, uh, is really helpful. Um, usually once that piece is done, um, you know, so like I said, maybe an hour or so of work there, then you sort of have the, the blue sky scenario. Okay. Well, you know, what could we change or what do we think we'd like to change, you know, in the existing process? So we'll usually copy that right over and then actually take a stab at what would the ideal process look like? Um, knowing that we'd have to figure out how to actually facilitate that. So that might be mm-hmm. another half hour conversation, hour long conversation. So the real leg, the real work here is then figuring out, figuring out how do you execute that uh, refined process. So looking into the necessary apps and integrations and, you know, APIs, et cetera, necessary to make the process work the way the client wants. Uh, and that, mm. you know, could be as, as quick as just a couple minutes of research. If it's all standard stuff, it's all boilerplate, or it could be, you know, uh, several hours, you know, if not several days of, of research into really figuring out how we want to, uh, you know, tackle an integration. Is this um, was shipping something you had experience of before you started working uh, kind of in the e-commerce space, or is it something that you uh, obviously you studied business management and that kind of stuff? But if I guess what I'm getting at is if people haven't got this experience but can see the value in uh, offering it as a service, uh, any ways that they can sort of learn more about it, or is it just something you think you can kind of just dive in and use your you know street smarts and, and get to grips with it? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I, I think for me, one of the biggest uh, sort of resources in, in learning about the fulfillment process is really the companies that are are making a play in the space. There are some fantastic apps out there uh, right now that handle, you know, shipping. They handle uh, the support ticketing. They handle FedEx integration. You know, there's a whole suite of of sort of fulfillment operations related apps in uh, in Shopify. Most of those mm. companies. I mean, they're, they're trying to get customers too, right? So talking to them, reaching out to them, reading their blogs, following them on Twitter, whatever it might be, using them as a resource to learn about the best practices in the industry uh, is, is a fantastic place. Um, I mean, Shopify, you guys put out some fantastic documentation as well on fulfillment process. I think there's a few things in the e-commerce university that are, are really relevant. Um, so really just tapping into, you know, the, the players in this space who are trying to, to sell something, you know, that makes the process easier. They want to educate people as much as possible because it's, you know, the opportunity for them to, to get their product involved in, in one of these e-commerce companies. So using them as a resource, I think, is, is really helpful. Yeah, I guess also just, just go in and watch. You know, I've always found that quite fascinating whenever you go into a, as a customer, you'll go into, a, say, a printer's and you'll see how the different people work and you suddenly think, well, why are they doing that? And, well, often the response is, well, they've always done that. And so yeah, it kind right. of makes you, you take a step back and question it. And I think, you know, just observing uh, people in situ you know fulfilling the products is is probably uh probably quite helpful as well i mean we didn't really touch on digital delivery uh, fulfillment but i guess uh, any quick thoughts on that for for sort of non-physical products is that something you guys look at yeah it's not something we do as much it is something uh we have done uh to a certain extent there are also some great apps out there uh, that are specifically meant for uh digital delivery let's say if you're selling ebooks or uh, audio mm. files or video files that kind of thing um so there definitely are some great tools available um i think you know, that's another situation where you find a lot of companies are coming in and just they're doing everything manually. So, hey, we know we use Shopify, we list our products, someone purchases it, and then we just send them an email after the fact manually. Or maybe mm. they just, you know, somehow route the email, uh, the order confirmation notification to actually include a link to the product. That's something we've seen done before. Or they might get a little more sophisticated and use a platform like Fetch or something like that to actually yeah. send, uh, you know, to send a digital file. 
yeah, I guess it's, it's it's not as involved, but it's still an opportunity to sort of reinforce the brand and, and, and give a good experience. No, no question. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, absolutely. So we've uh, we've got to the point in the uh, in, in in sort of the process where people are hopefully happy uh, have uh, come to the site. We've convinced them to buy. They've got the product. What will we look at in part four? Yeah, great question. So in part four, what we call sort of this, you know, post purchase experience or post purchase purchase relationship, there's a few key elements. So number one is going to be support. Um, if something goes wrong, how's it handled? You know, how do you communicate with the customer? Uh, how do you track those communications? That kind of thing. Uh, number two is going to be uh, on the marketing side, on the email marketing side. Um, so how do you use email marketing to encourage repeat purchases? You know, do you have marketing automation tools in place? Or are you just using traditional newsletters? What does your email marketing strategy sort of look like? Uh, the third is um, what we sort of like to call, you know, sourcing testimonials. Not in the traditional sort of, you know, the product was great. Thanks, Ross from Boston. <laughs> Although that does work <laughs> sometimes. But really sourcing sort of uh, stories around the customer experience. So sometimes that's uh, videos. Um, oftentimes it's very visual. So, you know, using Instagram and, and Pinterest or whatnot to source uh, customers with uh, with the, you know, the product in action, uh, which is a great, uh, great way to kind of encourage and build a community. Um, you know, and maybe those traditional kind of text-based testimonials. So figuring out that way to kind of build, uh, the stories around your customers using your product. Uh, and then the last is just encouraging referrals. So how do you actually get people to, um, encourage, uh, sharing with their friends, sharing on social media, inviting specific users, uh, you know, maybe there's an affiliate play there a loyalty play there's there's a few different angles that we look at on that side as well brilliant so all that and uh, probably more coming in part four but uh, as always thank you for joining me from, from boston and uh, uh, it's a pleasure as always and uh, yeah we'll be back uh, uh, in a few weeks but we'll obviously uh, you can check out the blog post that will accompany this uh, podcast for, for all the links and uh, um, sort of uh, blog posts that we've referenced and uh, yes thanks for listening cheers thanks